I'm Lillian Vasquez with Lifestyles on KVCR. Thanks for listening. Today, I'll speak with former California State Senator and the first executive director for KVCR Radio, Television, and FNX, Connie Leva. Connie shares her journey into politics, the changes she had implemented as a state senator, and how she ended up in public media. Here's my conversation with KVCR Executive Director, Connie Leva. Welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you, Lillian. I'm thrilled to be here with you and thrilled to be at KVCR. Okay, so before we talk about your newest role here at KVCR, I'd like to step back a bit and learn about you, your youth, and kind of how your journey went to get into politics and then eventually public media. So where'd you grow up? I grew up in Chino. I was actually born in Kansas because my dad was in the service. Uh, But when he was uh, out of basic training, we moved back to Pomona. So I was about a year and a half and then moved to Chino. And that's where I grew up. And that's where my husband and I currently live now. Went all through public schools there and still live in Chino. But did a stint in Colton when we got married and bought our first house there and did 10 years in Colton, which was great. So that was a little bit of time in Colton. Yes. You received your degree in communicative disorders from the University of Redlands. What career path did you have in mind or were you planning or what were you thinking when you made that your major? I love that question. Thank you for asking me that. So I thought I wanted to be an attorney when I first started in college. And then I quickly realized that People do not, they will tolerate a lot in life, but they don't tolerate when people cannot communicate effectively. Mm. And I thought, I want to be that person to make sure people can communicate with each other. If there was some sort of an issue, I could help them with that. So I was at Cal Poly. I had to transfer to the University of Redlands because they offered the program. And so I went there. I got my degree. I loved every minute of it. And I have to date not used my degree. At all. At all. Well, but I jokingly say I used it when I uh, started with the labor movement and I taught people how to speak, find their voice in a different way on the job. So you were at Cal Poly Pomona. What were you studying there? I was an English major at the time uh, because I thought if I was going to be a lawyer, I should be able to write and write effectively. But I should say that I started at Mount Sac. I had a very circuitous journey through college. It took me five and a half years to get my degree. (laughs) Uh, Halfway through, I got married. And then almost at the end, we decided to have a baby, which turned into twins. So it was a circuitous journey, but made it nonetheless. But I had my best English class at Mount Sac. Went to Cal Poly, was an English major. Then when I decided I wanted to pursue communicative disorders, uh, I went to an English minor. Oh, okay. So you yeah. still stayed in the English yes. realm. All right. So you worked at Alpha Beta, yes. which was a grocery store here in Southern California. What did you do there that would eventually lead you to your, your being a union rep and later uh, the president of the union? So I grew up in a union household. My dad mm. was um, an operating engineer. He was a teamster. He was a retail clerk before retail clerks became United Food and Commercial Workers Union way back when. And my mom was a member of CSEA for 35 years. Oh. So uh, I grew up in a union household, and I always knew that we had good medical benefits and a good way of living because my parents were part of a union. So when I was 18, I went to Alpha Beta in Ontario and got my own good union job, and that's where I met my favorite husband. And we, I worked there for almost 10 years, and then the merger between 
Alpha Beta and Food for Less Ralphs occurred, right. and they, uh, they had a massive layoff. They went back 19 years laying people off, so I only had nine years in. So, oh. so I was laid off, um, pregnant with our twins at the time, and uh, it all worked out because it's very hard to find uh, care for infant twins. But I loved working at Alpha Beta. I loved, I did just about everything in the store. When I left, I was uh, a person in charge. I was a key carrier, so I opened and closed the stores. And I was in college at the time, so sometimes I would go in at 10 o'clock at night, work until 7 in the morning, and then drive to Cal Poly and uh, and take my classes. And you were married during this time as married well? Married during that time as well, yes. How old were you when you got married? 21. Oh, so you... Okay, so yes. you're working at Alpha Beta, 18 years old, working there. You meet your favorite husband, which I'm going to ask you about. If there's a lot of <laughs> not-so-favorite right, husbands right. in that crowd. But she, she, so you're going to need to explain that yes. a little bit. But So you're there, 18, working, and then... You are at Cal Poly as well? Yes, at Cal Poly. He was actually at Cal Poly as well, playing baseball. Uh, Yes, he played third base uh, at Cal Poly. And then ultimately, he transferred to the University of Laverne, and I transferred to the University of Redlands. So Ah. he was a leopard. I was a bulldog. Still while you're both married. Still while we were both married. Are you pregnant at this time? I am not pregnant at that time because I had the girls in 92, so I got pregnant in 91. Okay. Yes. Great. Okay. Let me reintroduce my guest as Connie Leva, former state senator and now KVCR's executive director. So, in 2004, you were the first female elected as the president of the California Labor Federation. Is that correct? That is correct. Representing more than 2.1 million workers. What was your mission and what was your job? What were you charged to do? So let me first say how shocked I was when I got the phone call. Uh, Al and I and the girls were in New York on vacation, and I got a call from the executive director, Art Pulaski, and he said, hey, you know, we need a new president, and I'm thinking in my mind he's going to ask me to recommend somebody, and I'm Uh thinking, oh, my gosh, who am I going to recommend? And uh, he said, we would like you to do it. You are on a short list to do this. And I said, what? I said, me? Oh, okay. So ultimately I went back interviewed with the executive board, and then they did elect me to um, to that position. So as the president of the state fed, my job was to help them organize all the unions. The unions were organized, but organize them around politics. How do we make sure that people who are labor-friendly, people who care about workers, workers' rights, pensions, affordable health care, how do we make sure all of us as unions, because all the unions are very different. You've got public sector, you've got private sector, uh, representing grocery workers. I was part of the private sector. So um, part of my job was how do we make sure we do that? And I feel like I was really lucky to be there at that time because we really, um, myself, Art Plasky, and then we took the leaders of the 10 largest unions in the state of California and kind of put together a plan, a strategic growth plan on how we would be more effective as unions in mm-hmm. the state of California. And uh, to this day, I will always feel really honored and lucky that I got to be a part of that. And so I did that for 10 years concurrently while I was the president of my local union. Okay, so let me ask about that. So you got the role or the, the call yes. because you were already the president of your local union, Correct. right? Yes. And you start you got that part because you were had been a union rep. Correct. And what how old were you when you were a union rep? I was 20 I got hired at the local at 27 and I became a rep at 28. What did you think 
your idea? Somebody asked you? Were you just vocal and people said, Connie should do this? All of the above. Uh, so when I got hired, I got hired to work temporary part-time in the benefits department. And candidly, we really needed for me to be working because when I got laid off and I was six months pregnant with the girls, we hadn't really planned that I wasn't going to be working. So the Levas were pretty hungry. I needed to go back to work. So I started there, but I quickly realized that I wanted to be a union rep. I'm like, that's where the action is. Why? They were out in the stores representing workers, teaching workers what their rights were, making sure they were being treated right on the job. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. So when a position opened up, I went to the president and I said, I would like to apply. And he told me no. And I said, why? He said, because you're a woman. And I was so shocked that in 1994, I still remember it like it was yesterday, that a man would tell me I couldn't do it because I was a woman. And I said, well, I know you don't have any female reps, but I said, I can do the job. He said, well, and also you're a mom. They won't like that you're a mom. And I said, who do you think's working in all those grocery stores? Mm. A bunch of working moms. I said, they will relate to me and I will relate to them. So it took a few more months of me convincing him to just let me interview. And then ultimately I got the job. And I always like to tell this part of the story because I just want to make sure women know we always have to be fighting for each other. So when he hired me, he said, okay, here's your pay salary. We're going to take you to top pay in five years. And I said, well, I know that the guys all went to top pay in two years. And he goes, yeah, I know, but we're going to change it for you. And I said, okay. I said, well, how about if I do the job and prove myself, you take me to top pay in two years? And he said, okay. So two years, I worked my rear off. It would be a whole nother show to talk about how <laughs> challenging it was with the guys I worked with. But I loved being in the stores, Lillian. I loved working, especially with grocery is more than 50% female, and just helping women find their voice on the job. I loved it. Two years, I came back, and he said, well, you've exceeded all of my expectations. Ah, nice. But I'm still not taking you to top pay. Uh, <laughs> right? And I really? said, yeah, I said, why? And he said, well, I changed my mind. I said, okay. So I always tell people this was a watershed moment for me. I went back to my office and I thought, do I quit? Do I stay? Mm -hmm. One, we needed the income. Two, I loved what I did. So I said, okay, I have to find a way to get him to do the right thing. So every day, at some point in the day, during the next nine months, I'd pop my head in his office and say, you know you want to take me to top pay because I'm your best rep. Nine months later, he did. So I tell people, sometimes being the persistent, pleasant pest will actually work. I think the key there was the pleasant part, right? A hundred percent. The pleasant part. Yes, a hundred percent, because I'm sure he was still irritated with me. <laughs> so you're in charge of the whole union, right, the, uh, for the state. Yes. From there, you decide, I've done this, I want to try something new, or I want to what made you decide to run for state senate? So I loved what I did. Candidly, it was a challenging. I was at the local 20 years. It was a challenging mm -hmm. 12 years as president. I was the only female president in Southern California, so it was myself and seven other um, guys. And they weren't always excited to have a woman at the table. It, still? it was yeah, still right. All the it's, it hasn't been that long. I know, <laughs> but anyway. Um, so part of it was I felt like I had done everything I could for the labor movement and felt that I had. I don't want to say gotten as far as I could go because I was happy doing what I was doing. Uh, and we had done a lot of politics. Um, unions that are active do a lot of work in politics. We had helped a lot of different folks get elected, people who we knew believed in good paying jobs and uh, benefits and pensions. And so one day I got a call from uh, the current Congresswoman, Norma Torres, who was the senator at the time. And she said, I'm, I'm running for Congress. Would you be interested in running for the Senate? Oh. And I said, 
I don't know. I said, well, I have to go home and talk to my favorite husband. And uh, I said, I'll let you know. And she said, well, I'm with leadership right now, and they, they want an answer. I go, well, this is a huge life career change for me. So I went home, talked to my husband, and said, what do you think? He said, I think you'd be fantastic. I said, well, you've got to know all the, all the ins and outs. I said, one, it's a big pay cut. I said, two, there is no pension. I said, three, we'll literally pay about 10 times more a month for our health benefits, and I have to live in Sacramento four days a week. He said, dear God, why do you want to do this job? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, because I think was I a good question. It was a great question. I said, because I think maybe I can make a difference. I said, I want to be at the table. I want to help shape policy and laws. And I really want to try. He goes, then we will make it work. So always grateful for that. And we did make it work for eight years. So so I can see why he's your favorite husband. But <laughs> yes. tell our audience why he's your favorite husband. Yes. You know what? I... I started calling him that years ago, and so it always people always say, "Well, are, is there an unfavorite husband?" And I say, "No, but if there was, he would be my favorite husband." So it's just kind of a joke that started between the two of us, and now I say it publicly, and it always cracks people up. Uh, and his phone says the same thing: favorite wife. Oh, that's nice. So, um, but he's my favorite husband because he doesn't just support me; he totally believes in me. He he's the person that when I'm having a bad day, he will pick me up in all the right ways. But he will also always be honest with me, and I appreciate that. He'll tell me when, you know, hon, maybe you could have done that a different way, uh, and I appreciate that. So he's my guy. He is your guy. So while you are in the Senate, you had several bills, several bills, yes. um, but a lot of them were about mobile homes. Yes. Tell me, <laughs> how are the committees chosen that, that that's what you were chosen to do or selected to do? And then you did it on mobile homes, because I don't really hear much about mobile homes and bills about mobile homes. Yes. So I uh, so you get elected, and then uh, the pro tem, the president pro tem of the, of the Senate, decides what committees you will mm, be on. Okay. And so I was put on a, a variety of, uh, of different committees. And someone said to me, you know, we have this select committee, which is a little different from an actual standing committee. And they said it's on mobile and manufactured homes. And I said, oh, I said, well, that sounds kind of interesting. And I kind of looked at it. This is the last bastion of affordable homes um, for people. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, I would love to do that. And also, there's something called the MRL, and we call it the Bible in the mobile home uh, park world. And when I first got to Sacramento, my apartment didn't have TV yet. So for the first two weeks, I read the MRL cover (laughs) to cover uh, and learned it quite well. And then I just really grew to love this population. People who are in mobile homes, uh, many of them are seniors. Many of them are disabled. uh, Many of them are low income. And this is something that they can own and be a part of. Mm -hmm. And what we found is they were really being taken advantage of. And so we actually had five bills signed into law that do various things to help people stay in their mobile homes, to help mobile homes go from for-profit to owner-owned, to find find money to build nonprofit mobile home parks. So it ended up being a passion I didn't even know I had. I loved every minute of it. So when my husband and I first got married, we lived in an apartment in Ontario. Okay. From there, we bought a mobile home Ah. in Ontario. And that's where we, that was kind of our first buy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And had a really big backyard, bigger yard than I've ever had. So it it was a a great little place. That's awesome. It was right by the Daily Bulletin. Oh, um, yeah. so that was where oh, we spent some great. time. Oh, that's great. Yeah. All right. So as a senator, what were some of your, I know you had a lot, 
but some of your the accomplishments you're most proud of or that you always like talking about or that you, you hang on your wall? Yes. So uh, I ran for office because there was no one in the legislature in either house that had ever been a union member who had ever negotiated a contract. And so I wanted to be that person who could help make sure as we were passing legislation that we were keeping workers in mind. We were making sure that this benefited workers and working people. And then I got there, and all of a sudden, I found out I had all these other passions. Uh, one was the environment. Uh, one was women's issues. Right. So probably my number one favorite bill, and it's it's hard because we have a lot on Team Leva, um, would be uh, SB 813, which is the Justice for Victims Act. Someone came to me and said, did you know that there is no, that if you are raped, you can only file and go after the rapist within 10 years. So there was this arbitrary 10 your deadline. Mm. And I said, well, that doesn't make any sense. So we drafted a bill to say that there would be no statute of limitations, that when a woman or a man, it's mostly <clears throat> a woman's issue, comes forward, they and, and everything, the preponderance of evidence, all of that had to stay the same. You know, it's not like you could just come forward and accuse someone. But, you know, what I immediately thought of when it was brought to me is many women are raped when they're very young and they don't have the courage or someone in their life until they're a little older right. to come forward. Yeah, so um, it was it was a bill that people someone had tried six times in a row and it didn't always make it out of the first committee because the committee, the um, I think it was Human Services, they did not want to create another crime or something that would incarcerate people more. And my argument was, is well, you the, the victim, their life has changed forever in a very bad way. So why would we not allow them to go after the perpetrator? So I, I got it out of committee, got it to the governor's desk. It was Governor Brown at the time. And he said, well, why don't we just make it 20 years? And I said, that's another arbitrary number. I said, you know what, Governor, I'll take the veto. And that was a big, you know, a big chance. And when you're in the legislature and you have a bill, something you've worked on very hard, gone through all the committees, met with so many different people on it to say, I'll take the veto versus his deal of 20 years. I was taking a chance. But his chief of staff at the time, Nancy McFadden, was an amazing woman. And I will always give her credit for getting to him at the last minute and saying, no, let's do it the way the bill was written. Wow, that was pretty gutsy to take. I'll take the veto. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was kind of putting him on the spot. Go ahead and veto it. Let's see what it, where it goes. Yeah, and, tell, yeah. tell all the women in California Boy, that you don't believe is, in exactly. them. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow, that's exciting. And then I just have to mention one other one. So environmental stuff. We did a lot of bills on, it, on the environment. But one that we did that was really... Um, when it was brought to me, I said, how could this not be a law already? We all have to get our cars smog checked. Big rigs, diesel trucks, until recently, didn't have to get a smog check. They caused the most pollution of anything. So I said, why in the 70s when we had to do it, why didn't they do it with the trucking industry? And everybody goes, nobody wanted to take on the trucking industry. And kind of my feeling always was, I didn't want to take on any industry. I wanted to find a way that we could work together. So it took three years. And at the end of the day, the California Trucking Association came on in an enthusiastic neutral. And we said, we will take that. <laughs> so the bill went to the governor's desk and it was signed. I think it was Gavin. I think it was Governor Newsom who signed it. And we just promulgated the rules last year uh, on the car board, which I sat on. So that one, I th and it's it will be in 10 years, like taking 375000 
and trucks off the road so it will help our air quality here in the Inland Empire. Especially in the Inland Empire when we have so much logistics going on. Yes. So your enthusiasm is contagious, (laughs) infectious, um, and clearly see that. So why didn't you run for a third term for the Senate in 2022? The short answer is I'm exhausted. And I joke about that they used to uh, try to beat the enthusiasm out of me every dang day uh, in Sacramento. I am I would say that I'm an anomaly in Sacramento, and I think other people would tell you that too. I loved it, Lillian. I loved the eight years. I, I loved the work that we did. Living away from home, I always knew would be challenging for me. And after eight years, it didn't get any better. I missed my husband. Uh, Even though my kids are grown, I miss seeing them. We now have grandchildren. And what really the impetus was, redistricting put Uh me in with another Democrat, Mm -hmm. and we would have had to run against each other, which is fine. I quite certain I would have won, but I was the caucus chair for eight years, so I led our Democratic caucus for eight years, and I thought, I'm going to make my colleagues choose between me and the other person, and so I didn't think that was great. I also knew it would be a ton of money. She would receive a ton of money from oil. Labor would support me, and I thought, why do we need to spend all of that Mm. money when I knew I was kind of ready to be done. So that was the impetus. And uh, once I made the decision, I haven't looked back. And I'm extremely happy with my decision. I've gotten calls this January from my colleagues. And they're like, we miss you so much. Do you miss us? I said, well, I might miss you personally, but I do not miss the job. That's always nice, though, to get calls from your colleagues. Oh, it is really nice. That are up there, and you're here, and you're like, Connie, we miss you. Yes, they make me feel good. I'm speaking with Connie Leva, the executive director of KVCR Radio, Television, and FNX. So you ran for county supervisor. Yes. But you were defeated. Yes. Did you feel like when one door closes, another one opens? Or how did you get through or describe your bounce back? Yeah, so (laughs) that was crazy. So... I do love public service, and I love I, I love people. When I talk to young people, I always tell them, find your passion. For me, my passion is people. And so I thought, mm-hmm. well, I could be a county supervisor, still be able to really help people, and be home every night. Mm-hmm. Seemed like a win-win. So uh, I ran, and I was resoundingly defeated, which was just crazy because I've never worked so hard to lose in my life. <laughs> <laughs> we knocked on about 16,000 doors. Democrats didn't turn out to vote, and so that's what hurt me. And the person I ran against ran a really nasty campaign against me, and that was difficult. It's difficult when you've spent eight years really trying to be above board, have integrity, and then to have someone smear your your good name. That was, Does that happen in politics? Yeah, no, shocking, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it just, you know what, Lillian? I was like, that shouldn't be happening to me. Oh, my goodness. So that was a little bit heartbreaking. But the night of the election, I uh, told my husband, I said, you know what? We left it all on the field. Whatever happens, happens. By 3 o'clock that morning, we knew that I had lost. I was on a 5 a.m. flight the next day because I had to chair Senate education. But I was really at peace with it because I did feel like there was nothing more I could have done. And I knew that there would be another opportunity. So let me go back to what you just said. I read that you liked knocking on doors. I love knocking on doors. I think it goes back to me liking people. I love knocking on doors. And it's it's a bummer when nobody's home. Some Saturdays are more, you know, like that than <laughs> others. But I love when somebody opens their door. What's really fun is after you've been in office for a while, people open the door and go, Connie Leva, you're on my doorstep. Oh, that's nice. That, that always blows me away. Um, but to hear what they have to say, you know, what is it that's important to you? So I like having the pulse of the communities that I uh, 
that I represent. And yes, I love knocking on doors, which makes me a little different from most people. Well, then you're going to be great in television pledge or radio pledge because I love pledge. <laughs> same I, thing I'm ready. For the I'm very ready. same thing, to connect with our viewers and our listeners for yes. the very same reason. Excellent. Okay. Now, as the leader of KVCR, what do you want to accomplish in your first 100 days? Oh, okay, first year. Um, <laughs> but seriously, where do you want to take the station moving forward? That's a great question. So I was very excited that I was chosen for this position. And I really see my role as being able to do more community engagement. Probably a lot of people don't know that we sit on the campus of San Bernardino Valley College, making sure we're engaging students and giving them opportunities to work in TV and radio when they graduate from the program. And really, I think, Lillian, people don't know what a gem KVCR mm -hmm. is. People, since I've been here um, for about a month and a half, as you well know, uh, we've done a couple tours. And I love seeing people be so surprised and say, this is just amazing. So I want the community to come in and use our facilities. I want people to just know that we are here for them. And I think that we can grow what we do here it was the first time I've ever been in a position where I walked in and I'm the newbie. I'm the boss and I don't know anybody. So my first job is to get to know all of you and to work with you because you guys have all been doing the job long before <laughs> I got here. But I think that already, as I said in one of our staff meetings, thank you to everyone who's made me feel very welcome. And I think that uh, I think that we're going to have a lot of fun. And I think that we're going to grow the station, grow our viewership, grow our membership, and really just let people know that we're here. How are you going to do that? And, and more importantly, because KVCR has had ups and downs, like anything, it's not, we're not you know, different than anybody else or any other nonprofit, but funding is always the, the key. You're not in a political office, but you do have a lot of friends that are in politics, and you do have a lot of friends in the business world and throughout the, the Inland Empire. How will you try to raise funds for our station? So when I decided to run for office and I was told, well, you need to raise about a million dollars. I'm like, a million dollars? Oh, my God, I don't think I could do that. Uh, and in politics, there's just so many parameters. At the time when I ran, the max donation you could get was $4,100. So to get to a million dollars, $4,100 at a time. I'm not good at math, but even I can do <laughs> right, that, guys. Exactly. So I, I learned how to do it during that time. And what I would do is I would chunk it out. Okay, I want to raise X amount of dollars. How many $4,100 contributions do I need? Or how many $1,000 uh, contributions do I need? The exciting part about this job is that there aren't limitations like that, meaning that, you know, if someone wanted to come in and be a funder for a, a much larger amount, they could do that. My learning curve will be uh, learning about underwriting, as you and I have talked about, uh, and how we can represent people who want to contribute to uh, KVCR. But I think for me, it'll be kind of like when I first started in politics, figuring out how much I need to raise, because we need to be self-sustaining, right. figuring out how much I need to raise and then chunking it out. And who do I talk to about that? And I also think setting up lots and lots of meetings and talking to people. I'd like to say I think that's something that I'm good at. I learned to do that uh, in the labor movement, but really when I ran for office, um, meeting with people that maybe not necessarily believe what I believe, but I think KVCR, NPR, PBS has something to offer for, to everyone. We ha And then we have FNX, First Nations Experience, which is very exciting. So we have something for everyone. My job will be to get out there and find ways to raise money and make people see the value. 
Did you ever think you'd be the top executive of a television and radio station? Never in my wildest dreams. And people used to ask me that about the Senate, too. They said, oh, did you always want, want to run for the Senate? I go, it never even occurred to me. So I feel like in my life, things have come along the way they're supposed to. Uh, I feel very lucky to be here. I feel like I'm getting this third career. And I, I'm very happy here. As I've told you, Lillian and others, it's kind of fun to drive myself to work every day. I haven't done that in eight years. <laughs> <laughs> well, Connie, you're a breath of fresh air here oh, at the thanks, station. Lillian. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. To learn more about KVCR's Executive Director, Connie Leva, visit our website at kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on today's show. If you have a segment idea, share it with us. We'd love to hear what you're thinking would make a good segment on lifestyles. Go to kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on the link to share your story idea. That's our show for this week. To hear any of our past shows, visit our website at kvcrnews.org lifestyles. You can also listen to Lifestyles on your favorite streaming service. Search for Lifestyles with Lillian Vasquez and take the show on the go. Lifestyles is on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us. Thanks to all who helped to make this show possible, including Sharita Wad, David Fleming, Sean Houlihan, Natasha Coles, and executive producer Rick Dulock. Our theme music is provided by Ethan Bortnick. Join me next week at the same time for Lifestyles with me, Lillian Vasquez. Bye for now. Bye.